Well, that pretty much wraps up my time here on air. Before I sign off, while many of you listeners out there are just starting your day, we've had many people that have called in today about their work and how it's monotonous, grueling, frustrating, unappreciated, and sometimes just even depressing. We've all been there. As a result, I've been inspired to take these next few weeks and focus on just that, the daily grind. Perhaps if we share this load together, we can find our jobs not only redemptive, but also purposeful and maybe, just maybe, even joyful. Tune in to efree.103 and listen for me, Scotty O, as together we find fulfillment in the daily grind. This is Scotty O with efree103 saying, until next time. Start the day again. Y'all feel that way? We didn't laugh very hard. (laughs) Good morning again. (laughs) Happy New Year. We're punching in. I'm really excited for this new series. I'm excited for the Bible reading plan that we've distributed. You can pick up today. I mean, the prospect. I love New Year's. I, I love the prospect of new beginnings and new goals and new hopes being realized and new vision. And the thought that together over this next year we would be in our scriptures a little bit more and in our prayer chair couple chapters a day, five days a week together as a church family, and the thought that perhaps starting today and over the next seven Sundays, we would begin to develop a little bit more of a vision for how God might turn our eight to five daily grind into something better. Would you like that? Like, I mean, if that happened in your world, would you like that? I would. I've been processing this series for the past months. Really, I'd have to say for the past years. There's a cottage industry of books related to redemptive work and integrating faith and work. And I'm glad that this industry of books has propped up because... Oftentimes, the church hasn't really done much to help people think about doing their jobs for the honor and glory of God. What we tend to talk about here on Sunday morning is spiritual matters, as well we should because we are spiritual beings with spiritual problems, no question. But we also live in the physical world, don't we? And like the vast majority of our waking hours are going to be spent at our jobs. And so most of us, at one point or another, are going to ask the question, how does this get integrated with what I believe? And for the most part, we in the church haven't really talked about that. And so connecting faith with work is this beautiful and huge opportunity, I believe, probably for all of us today.
think about what an opportunity this is. When you first meet someone, what's the first question that you ask after getting their name? What do you do, right? Like, if you're in another culture, if you're in India or in Africa, perhaps the first question, though, that you would ask is, tell me about your family. Who is your dad? Can I trace your lineage? They're more communal, family-oriented cultures than ours. If you're in Europe, perhaps the first question would be, where did you go to school? But in our culture, the first question that probably you and definitely I ask is, what do you do? And usually, if we're not careful, we have to kind of guard ourselves against what happens next, at least in many of our minds, is we kind of stack up what they do compared to what we do. Like, oh, he's a doctor. He's up here, and he's a missionary. He's up here, and she's a teacher. She's up here, and then we list our job, and then a bunch of others above beneath ours. And unfortunately, church has actually contributed to this. Because across many centuries, what the church has sometimes explicitly said and sometimes implied is that some jobs are better than other jobs. Some jobs are more important to God than other jobs. In fact, this goes all the way back to the 4th century, well, when there was a Roman bishop by the name of Eusebius who said, and I quote, There are two forms of the Christian life. There's the perfect life of the clergy and the permitted life of everyone else. Sorry. Bad news for you. But Brian, how's that going? The perfect life of the clergy. You got it yet? Yeah, yeah. Susie, have we found that one yet? Yeah, there's no perfect life of the clergy either. I promise you that. And there's no permitted life of everyone else. This whole sacred-secular split such that sacred jobs are considering, considered better in people's minds Sadly, frequently has come from many different corners of the church. And what we're going to do over these next seven weeks is punch holes in those ideas. We're going to punch holes in that. And what we're going to say instead over these next seven weeks is that your, your work matters deeply to God. What you do each day matters. And it's a reflection of how you have been made. Last week, Pastor Jordan spoke uh, here on stage, and maybe you watched from the comfort of your, of your living room as we didn't have church here with the snowstorm, but he spoke about the kingdom of God. And part of the way that we would expand the kingdom of God is through our workplaces. Part of the way we'd make an impact on the place that God has called us to is through our workplaces. I, I would welcome any emails from you this week, the good kind. Um, it, like, if you have any emails, you have any questions that you would like to ask related to work and faith, bring them on. Like, if you're saying, I'm satisfied in my job, and here's why, I'd love to hear that. Or I'm really dissatisfied in my work, and here's why, and how do I bring faith into that? Bring those questions on. I found my calling. Or I'm frustrated, I've never been able to make this connection, and there's this one particular issue though, that I'm dealing with. I love to hear those kinds of questions as we venture into this series and seek to incorporate our faith into our workplace. Now, some of you might be saying as we start this series, this is kind of ironic, we have a pastor talking to us about work. What does he do each day? Does he just do this? No. 
I don't. <laughs> like, um, I work really, really hard. Just like you do. Just like you do. Um, we have different jobs. And this is actually my second career. I have another master's degree in another area, and I had a first career. And then shifted over to this career. But I've never worked harder than I do here. And there's this universal tendency, unfortunately, to kind of elevate what I do and denigrate what you do. We all can do that, and we're not going to do that in this series. Sometimes blue-collar guys say, like, oh, man, that would be nice to sit behind a desk all day. <laughs> Those white-collar guys, what do they do? And sometimes white-collar guys say, oh, man, that's kind of nice to be able to clock out at the end of the day and be done with it. Oh, that, we're not going to do that. We're not going to say if they really knew what it was like to live in the real world. Because we all live and operate in the real world, don't we? And so what I want to tell you here at the beginning of this series is whether you're a student or a teacher, whether you're a farmer or a mechanic, whether you're an engineer or a businessman, whether you work at a restaurant, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or anything else, this series will have something for you. In fact, if you're retired today, I promise you this series has much for you in terms of how you would think about your volunteer responsibilities or any mentoring opportunities that God might bring to you. Here is the series premise for the next seven weeks. It goes like this. All work done to honor God is good. Let's say that together. All work done to honor God is good. Now you might be saying there's some jobs that can't honor God, and I would agree, maybe it shouldn't be all, almost all work. Sadly, there's still a slave trade that's going on around the world. Sadly, there's still incredible sexual exploitation going on through huge industries there. That cannot honor God. We say that emphatically. But almost all other vocations, the kind of work that you and I do every day, if done for God and to help other people, is good. I love the way the great reformer Martin Luther put it back in about 1520 when he was trying to fight against that sacred secular split that I was talking about. He said this, whether you are preaching a sermon or milking a cow or changing a diaper or harvesting a field or administrating the Lord's Supper as we just did, if it is done in faith, then God is pleased and Jesus smiles. Mm. That is so good. This whole spectrum of different things though, that we could do vocationally, if it's done in faith, God is pleased and Jesus smiles. So in these coming weeks, here are some of the topics though, that we're going to cover together. We're going to talk about when work stinks. You been there? Have you had a terrible work day? How about a terrible work year? Okay. We've all been there, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how to do our natural jobs in a spiritual way, that we can live spiritually while within our natural, everyday work. We're going to talk about authority issues. Anyone have authority issues in this room? You got boss issues, you got a boss you don't like, you have a lousy boss, or perhaps you are a boss and you're asking one of the most important questions that we all should ask on a regular basis, how do I serve as a faithful Christian boss? We're going to talk about that. 
We're going to talk about the rhythm between work and rest, and we're going to talk about the important idea of calling. What does it mean that God has called us to something? How would I identify my calling, and how would I learn the specific ways that God has made me, and how that could cater to the vocation that I choose? Today, we're going to unpack this beautiful idea of the image of God. What does it mean from the very beginning of the Bible to be made in the image of God, and how does that affect the way we think of ourselves, including as workers? From the very first pages of the Bible, what we see on page 1, Genesis 1, is a portrait of God working. Think about it. When you open your Bible to page 1, what you see is a masterpiece artist going to town, creating nebula and stars and the most beautiful forest to provide oxygen and turtles to swim in the sea. And what you see is God is a worker. From the very beginning, at the beginning, God is at work and he is utterly creative. Like, who else could possibly think of a giraffe? Who else could possibly think of a roly-poly? Or coral reef with all those fabulous, glorious, tropical fish and other creatures swimming amidst it. God forms and he arranges and he organizes out of nothing. Astronomers confirm that this universe is balanced on a razor's edge. Our earth specifically for life to exist here. Astronomers and physicists have shown us it couldn't even exist. We wouldn't have an earth with life on it if it weren't for things like a perfectly balanced gravitational force and strong nuclear force and weak nuclear force and electromagnetic force and all these perfect fine-tuned constants that God has implemented as he created and then chooses to sustain the beautiful earth and universe that he has made. And then the first time that we see him working after he has done that initial work of creation is as he's interacting with a young man by the name of Adam in a garden. I love the way pastor and author Timothy Keller puts it in his wonderful book, Every Good Endeavor, which is all about work and faith. He says this, In Genesis, we see God as a gardener. And in the New Testament, we see him as a carpenter. No task is too small a vessel to hold the immense dignity of work given by God. Do you remember the refrain that God states after each day or age of creation? What does he say? It was good. (laughs) It was good. It was good. It was good. And then we pick up the story after the first five days of creation. These first five epochs of time, don't know how long they last. It's not really the point of Genesis 1. But you pick it up here in verse 26 of chapter 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea 
and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves upon the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. At which point, you probably remember that God pauses and he looks over his creation and he says, it was very good. It was very, very good. Then he looks over the people that he made. And I believe he looks over you when each person is born, perhaps when each person is conceived. It was very good. It was very good what I did here. I think that's a statement specifically about the pinnacle of God's creation, humanity, that when God sees you, he says, very, very good. I made you in my image and likeness. But I think it's also a statement related to what he's just done across these six days. He pauses and he rests and he says, wow, it was very good. And friends, what you have here in Genesis 1 and following into Genesis 2 is this beautiful description that unfortunately the church has frequently missed out on for what it means to be human. It's a description here of what it means to be human. It's the image of God and the essence of the image of God as it's stamped upon us when we are made by God is this. We are made to reflect God. The essence of the image of God is reflection in all that we do, in all that we say, in all of our activities. We are made to reflect God across the entirety of our lives. We are made to bear forth, as it were, the image and likeness of God that other people would see us and they would say, that's what God would do. Those are the kinds of things that God would say. That's how God would say it. That as people look at us, they would see that. God's self-revelation begins with God working, and then 26 verses in, he pauses and he says, you're my vice president. That's what he does. So you're my vice president over all this beauty that I have just made. I make you in my image and likeness, and I ascribe such dignity to you that you get to be my vice regents in this world. You see, in a Christian worldview, you are way more than yet another animal, as Darwin would say. In a Christian worldview, you're way more than your DNA, such that you're just this automaton, and you dance to your DNA, and you have no will, you have no say-so, as the atheist Richard Dawkins famously said. No, not that. In the Christian worldview, you're way more than a sexual being that you have to always act upon your sexual impulses. False. That's what Freud would say, not what the Bible would say. And in the Christian worldview, you're way more than a sinner. As some Christians have falsely said, that fundamentally we are sinners. No, 
We all sin. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. But prior to all of that is this beautiful statement of God that he stamps on you and me and every person that we meet, a thumbprint of himself saying, I put some of myself into you, some of my communicable attributes into you. I make you in my image and likeness. And no matter what anyone else might say about you, I have made you and I say it is good. Now, if there's ever been a better reason to love people, I haven't found it. If there's ever been a better reason to love the family member that you don't like, <laughs> to love the neighbor that you don't like, to love the political opponent that you don't like, this is it. They have that same image of God, that same likeness of God that you and I have as well. So what is the image of God? What is the likeness of God? These are synonymous terms, two words used synonymously. Image and likeness are synonymous in the ancient Hebrew. But what is the image and likeness of God? Thank you for asking. I'm glad that you asked. I'm going to give you three theological words, and it requires you to put your thinking caps on with me, but these are really, really helpful theological ideas as we seek to understand how God has chosen to make us in his image and likeness. The first one is this, relational. When God chose to make you, he made you relational. Isn't that right? Like, quite obviously, he made us relational. The why behind that is the image of God. That before God spoke and the universe leapt into existence, God mysteriously was actually in relationship with himself. I know it's hard to understand. I can't completely comprehend it, but I do apprehend it. I lift it off the pages of Scripture. And what we believe is this. We have one God with three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, eternally united and yet at the same time distinct. And they were forever in this beautiful union with one another, this relational union. And God says, let's invite people into that. And I'm going to invite people into that such that they could freely choose to be in relationship with me, the God of the universe. They can be in relationship with me. I invite them into this. And also such that they would be in relationship with each other. This is why well, when you see someone who is lonely, they are almost always depressed. Because God has made us in his image and we need so much to be in community with others. If you're here in a relatively large church and you don't have community, I want to tell you to put on your calendars three weeks from today. We're going to have a life group and care ministry Sunday. One of our church initiatives is to go from lost in a crowd to known in community because it goes against the very grain of the way God made us in his image to be alone. We need each other. And so, if you don't have a life group or a care ministry, you need a plan to come to church that Sunday, and there will be on-ramps. You can even talk to the life group kiosk today about that as well. But that's the first word, relational. Second word is spiritual. When God made you in his image, he made you as a worshiper. And the simple truth is, all of us will worship something. Because God has put eternity in our hearts. And even in 2020, this progressive day that has incredible scientific revolutions and incredible movement against religion in many different sectors of our world, 95% of people around the world still believe in God. Why is that? Because God has set eternity in our hearts. He's made us worshipers. He's made us to be spiritual from the very beginning. That's different from the rest of his creation. The animal kingdom doesn't worship him. We do. 
And then finally, he makes us to be representational. And this is most important for our content today. In the ancient world, an image that was made was typically a statue. And it would be a statue that would usually be made of a king or of some deity. And the statue was made to represent the qualities of that king or that deity. Such that the ancients, when they would read the book of Genesis chapter 1, and they hear that humans are made in the image and likeness of God, they would have immediately said from there, then humans are supposed to be the statues that represent the glory of God. Mm. That people would look at the way you live, listen to the way you speak, and they would say, ooh, that's representative of God. This is God's way of saying, you are his stand-ins here on earth. We're his stand-ins. That doesn't mean that he's not operant. Yeah, he's still in action. He's still working. But he would have us to be his stand-ins to do the kind of things that he would do, to live the way that he would live. That's what's envisioned here by a representational image of God. You get to oversee this place as I would oversee it. Friends, you can't miss this. God's glory depends to some degree on how we get after the task that he has given us. To some degree, God's glory depends on how you get after it each day. In your families, in your neighborhoods, and yes, in our 9 to 5 work, in our 8 to 5 work, whatever hours you work, how we do that elevates or diminishes the glory of God before others. We've missed this for far too long. God's first command is that we would serve as artists and gardeners. What he's doing here in Genesis is giving us this invitation that we would serve with him as co-creators and maintainers of all that he has made. Like, just think about this for a minute. God finishes his work in creation on the sixth day, but it's left unfinished, isn't it? Think about it. He finishes it, but it's still wild. It still has to be harnessed. There's a power and a might to the world that is incredible. That's because he loves you. That's because he wants to invite you into work that he would give to us to do. The story goes on. If you look at chapter 2, 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Here you go. Here's this beautiful garden now that I've made. Now you have to work it. You have to take care of it. Verse 19, it goes on, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so Adam and Eve are given this task to cultivate the land. And it's going to be a good, hard days of work. I think there were probably sweat glands before the fall. I think quite possibly they even cut themselves while gardening. Maybe. Probably their blood could coagulate back then. Certainly they had to use their mind to organize things and to design the garden. 
and to do difficult mental work. God gives them all of that. And if you look back at verse 28 of chapter 1, you see this original command, the very first command written in the Bible. It says this, Be fruitful and multiply. In the ESV, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. So be fruitful and multiply refers to procreation as a beginning that we are invited by God to multiply ourselves, to procreate. Some of us are doing better at that than others, okay? (laughs) But it's not just that. It's not just procreation. It's not just adopting kids, as wonderful as that would be. It's building culture. It's multiplying culture. It's building family. Like there's a big, big difference between having kids and building a family, isn't there? So to be fruitful and to multiply includes building family, building culture, building civilization, multiplying it, multiplying God's good influence through the abilities that he has given us. The second part of that is to subdue the earth, which means to grab hold of the natural world and to harness its God-given power. You see, God puts us in charge to be stewards over the earth that he has made. God entrusts creation to us, but it's kind of wild. And so there's all these great resources underneath the ground and above the ground in creation, but they need to be harvested to some degree. So God gives us beautiful trees, but you don't have houses till you cut some of them down and make a house. God gives salt so we can enjoy our food, but you've got to harvest it out of the sea. God gives petroleum. God gives iron and ore, but until you go down and you get it, you can't make steel. So it's kind of wild. It needs to be harvested. It needs to be harnessed. That's part of what is meant here by subduing the earth, ruling over it. Now let me just pause and say that's not the same as pillaging it. We are stewards of the goodness that God has made. Have you ever read, well, raise your hand with me, have you ever read about the rainforest or maybe ever visited the rainforest? Would you raise your hands if you have? Okay. If you've ever read about the rainforest, you know that there are, like, it's just chock full of resources. 25% of modern medicines used today come from plants in the rainforest. And only 5% of the plants in the rainforest have even been studied by man. So, if it's pillaged, then all of that is gone. All the cancer-fighting drugs, all the malaria-fighting drugs that have been found in the rainforest are gone. You see? So it's this push and pull that we harness what is good that God has made in the rainforest, for example, to be able to use to fight cancer and to develop modern medicine and on and on we can go but if you pillage it then it's no more it loses all of its power it's this back and forth that we need to hold on to as Christians in a biblically conservative worldview it's Jews and Christians who have the greatest resources in page one of the Bible to take care of the good earth that God has entrusted to us That's not a liberal thing. That's not a conservative thing. That's a biblical thing that that I just said. But it's, it's harnessing some of the resources, 
and it's caring for the resources. Like, if there's ever a good reason, I thought, think of this. If someone you love gave you a gift that they personally created, that they personally made, and they gave it to you and said, I put so much work, so much effort into this. Enjoy it. Take care of it. You would do so, right? Right? You wouldn't smash it to smithereens, would you? You'd take care of it. And so it's this balance that is required of stewards. That there's much that is good that is to be used. And we get about that when we do our vocations. You see, we are created to be co-creators and maintainers out of the beauty that God originally made. To put it more poetically, we are created to be artists and gardeners. So you might be a painter today, and guess what? When you paint, you get to be a co-creator with God. Wow. Or you get to be a businesswoman today, and when you build a business and employ other people, you are building and multiplying civilization such that other people could use their abilities to do the same. What a gift. Or you are a stay-at-home mom. You get to stay at home and build the fundamental building block of any healthy culture called a family. What a gift. Don't let anyone look down upon that. You're a computer engineer. You get to take this natural resource which God has given called silica metal, from which you get to make silicon, from which you get to make computers, from which we get to be connected with each other and our productivity goes through the roof. Thanks be to God. Now, do you see? You, you got to tether what you do to God's original creation and the good work that he has given to you as made in the image and likeness of God. So, in the coming weeks, we'll talk about when work stinks and thistles rise up and it gets difficult. But for today, you got to take home with you this. Your vocation is not second class to my vocation. Sacred secular split, get rid of it. The title of the message is this Work, what's the point? just to reflect the image of God. Like, no biggie, right? Just that. We, we just get to go out each day and reflect the image of God. No, no, it's just really no big deal. No, it's a huge deal. What a gift God has given to you and to me. I think a lot of times about a man that I discipled years ago who was a custodian at a local public school, and I had the privilege of, of helping lead him toward a living relationship with God, and he came to know Christ's forgiveness and began to transform his life, and after that, well, we sat down and had a number of different discipleship discussions in which we talked about the Bible and how to grow in prayer, but we also talked about relationships and about his workplace, and I loved when Nick would talk about his work because his eyes would begin to sparkle as he would tell me that I get to clean the basketball court before the games. I get to make a sparkle for the kids. And his eyes would light up as he, get, as he would tell me about cleaning the hallways and getting to know the 1,200 names of the different kids at the school and doing little things behind the scenes to help teachers, some of whom even looked down on what he did, but he didn't care because he was fulfilled by the work that God had given him. You see, he had found the theological motive behind his work 
that ended up fulfilling him each and every day, no matter what other people would say about his work. It didn't matter to him that other people might look down on his work. It didn't matter to him that he didn't make as much as other people because he realized he was operating out of his giftedness as given from God and living into this idea that God has made me a gardener. I may not be a creator, but I'm a gardener that gets to help maintain this beautiful space that other people created, ultimately, maybe make, ultimately using stuff that God originally gave. He had a theological foundation for his work. What is yours? Here's my assignment. That you begin to identify that. That in this next week, you take some time to have one conversation with one friend or coworker or family member. And you begin to tether your work to the image of God found in Genesis 1 and 2. Begin to ask the question, what is the motive behind my work? And it's way bigger than making money. There's a fundamental goodness to what you do. And figuring that out, writing it down, and then beginning, even tomorrow, to live into that. My prayer for you this week and in the weeks to come is this. Whatever you do, the Apostle Paul said, whether it be in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father who's given you this ability, this task, this assignment, this calling. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you've given us good work to do. We thank you that we don't just grin and bear it. We thank you that it's more than a daily grind. Sometimes it is that, we admit it. Sometimes it is that, but it's more. We get to reflect you. We get to be your representatives. Wow, what an honor. So Father, no matter how difficult work might be for many people in this room tomorrow, we ask God that you would help us to look up to heaven and be different in the ways that we do it. Thank you, God, that you chose to make us to be like you. Thank you, you've imprinted some of yourself on each person in this room. We want to serve for your honor and for your good. For the good of those that we serve this week, would you please help us? We will be careful to give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.